It's Tuesday, March 10th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Funds, Tony Arsta. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. Uh, we're going to talk a lot of tech today. We're going to talk Qualcomm, Twitter, um, March Madness right around the corner. We touched on, Jason Moser and I touched on that a little bit yesterday, but, but we'll, you and I will touch on the business aspects of March Madness. Was he rooting for Wofford or Furman? He, so, he was rooting for Wofford. His wife rooting for Furman because okay. she's a graduate of Furman and a, a very close game. It was a good game. Uh, Wofford pulled it out, though. Um, I, I was rooting for Furman uh, for a couple of reasons, one of which was f- I love when teams make unlikely runs yeah. to their conference finals. And in the case of Furman, their record going into the championship game was eleven and twenty-two. So yeah. just the idea that a team with, you know, with twelve wins is going to go to the NCAA basketball tournament. Um, but let's start with yesterday's big event, which is, of course, the Apple Watch, which is finally here, or it will be when it arrives in stores on April twenty-fourth. Um, by now, anyone listening has probably seen the headlines about this device and what it can do in terms of calls and messaging and apps and the three different versions, starting with the sports watch, which is $350, all the way up to the super high-end watch for $10,000. Starting um, at 10000 Starting at 10000 right. I wasn't in the room. We never get invited to Apple's events. And once again, if anyone at Apple is listening, uh, we'd come to one of your events if you invited us. Um, I wasn't there, but uh, reports were that there was an audible gasp in the room when the $10,000 version of this watch was revealed. But you think that the big winner of the day is, in fact, not Apple at all. Yeah, the most exciting news to me by far was the HBO uh, news. So, Apple announced that the Apple TV is dropping in price from $99 to $69. And along with that, they announced, they actually brought out the the CEO of HBO to announce HBO Now, which is a a standalone service for $15 a month, where you can watch HBO, all of HBO's programming, without having any sort of cable subscription whatsoever, $15 a month. And you can only sign up for it through Apple products. It's It's exclusive to Apple right now. But uh, that, that's a huge thing. I know HBO had been talking for months about releasing a standalone cable-free product, and now they have it. The early reports are that there's a three-month exclusivity with Apple. After that, we'll see. It might be opened up to the rest of us that don't have Apple products. Do you? What do you suppose the reaction is from the big cable companies, from Comcast and Time Warner and others, if you're... If you're settling in and you're watching this Apple event, and all of a sudden this, because for all the talk of cord cutting, mm-hmm. and cord cutting is going on, but it is, if you're just going by the headlines, you would think that there's this massive wave of cord cutting. There, in fact, there is not. It is, it seems to be very incremental. And certainly, if you look at the performance of Comcast stock over the last couple of years, you know that that company is a cash machine mm-hmm. and it's been a monster stock. But this seems like, uh, I don't want to say it's the it's the, you know the final nail in the coffin of cord cutting, but but it it does seem like oh this is this is a pretty compelling offer for anyone who is thinking about getting rid of their cable. All right, unless you watch ESPN every day, right. you don't really need cable anymore. 
Uh, This is a compelling thing, and cord cutting in general is a very small portion of the market, but if you look at people under the age of, let's just say, 30, uh, the younger people are definitely more willing to go without cable. And as much as Comcast and Time Warner might say publicly about this, they they really are aware of it, and they've been changing their offering. That's why uh, broadband cable, uh, broadband internet access is becoming such a big part of, of the business for companies like Comcast. So HBO is the big winner of the day in your mind. Let's get back to Apple and this device. Um, Did anything surprise you? Was there, uh, either on the good side or the bad side, either from the standpoint of, wow, I didn't expect them to have that, or, ooh, it doesn't include this feature, and I really thought it would? The interesting thing with the watches is that, uh, if you'll remember, it was six months ago that they first showed the watch. And really, all they did this time was show the exact same watches, show the same interactions, the same features. The difference is you've had six months of developers being able to develop. So they showed a demonstration of Instagram, uh, which I don't know why you'd want to look at photos on your wrist, uh, <laughs> but that's a thing you can do now. Uh, other other products like Shazam, which allows you to to find out what music you're listening to. Uh, so they had some some third-party developers that had developed applications. They also announced the pricing. Other than that, it was the same watch we had seen six months ago. And the questions people had six months ago is, what is the compelling use for this? Why do I need it? And they still haven't answered it. That doesn't mean it won't sell well, but they haven't answered that question. They actually ended the, the presentation by basically saying, we're excited that this is now out in the public and that the developers will have a chance to figure out what to do with it. Yeah. I, I... I mean, on that point, it does seem like more so than when the iPhone came out, or the iPod, or the iPad, I think you have more people now looking at this device, and it's less of a wow factor, and you have more people asking, among other things, well, why would I buy this version when I know you're going to have another version a year from now that's going to be, you know, if you think about the improvements that Apple has made in the iPhone with each new version and uh, you know yeah. why why would you jump in and buy this unless you really had to have it if you go back and look at the functionality of the original iPhone it was terrible it didn't even have an, <laughs> there was no app store there was no 3G uh, you could basically use the internet or YouTube and make a phone call maybe if you were lucky so the iPhone became a great thing after a few years this watch might turn out to be something cool in the future. Uh, I'm skeptical, but I've been skeptical s- skeptical of other Apple products in the past, so I'll, I've learned my lesson there. But uh, at the moment, there doesn't seem to be a compelling use for it that, that does anything better than you can currently do with a phone. What do you think success looks like for Apple? with regards to this device? Well, the nice thing with this is it's an incremental product. So if you want to use it, you need to have an iPhone 5 or, or newer. So you're selling it to people that are already in the Apple ecosystem. So you're getting more money from the same people. You're getting money from people that would already buy a phone that are still going to buy a phone and then also drop another uh, $350,000 to $17,000. So it's, it's incremental money, so that, that's never a bad thing. Did the $10,000 watch surprise you? I had seen estimates anywhere from, for the high-end model, anywhere from 2000 to 20000 So, 10000 
it, Apple is definitely trying to make their mark in the fashion world. There had been uh, reports recently where they were talking about other luxury companies uh, more so than electronic companies. So it wasn't that surprising. I guess I look at that and what goes through my head, and I say this as someone who doesn't wear a watch, but I totally understand why someone would and why someone would, um, if they have the means, pay a lot of money for a really nice watch. But I think part of the reason you do something like that is it's a high-quality piece of machinery that is going to last you a very long time, in theory. And in this case, just as we talked about with you know the first iPhone, doesn't it stand to reason that the ten thousand dollar you know iWatch is going to need an upgrade in a year? Yes, yeah, so <laughs> like my ten thousand dollar Rolex isn't going to need an upgrade in a year. Yeah, you can say whatever you want about the the jewelry aspect and whether it's fashionable or not. And if it's a fashion item, ten thousand dollars isn't out of line with other watches. But like you said, it. it will go bad. Uh, even if the electronics are all made to the highest standards, it's it's a circuit board with a battery inside of it, and that degrades over time. So you're looking at, at most, a decade or two of life versus a, a Rolex that'll last for 100 years. So it, it is very much, uh, it's a limited edition thing for people that that want to look flashy and spend the money. Uh, before we wrap up on Apple, uh, I know you think that HBO won the day, but uh, it, the laptops also caught your eye. Yeah, the uh, it's funny. I don't know if you ever look at the intraday chart of Apple during these these announcements, but it, it's always amusing. So Apple was up a little bit for the day. They started talking about the new MacBook, and the stock uh, was only a few percent, but but on the chart it looked like a drastic uh, incline in in the stock price. Then they finished talking about the Mac, started talking about the Apple uh, Watch, and it <laughs> reversed direction. Stop. But people were very excited when the the MacBook was announced. So this isn't the MacBook Air or the MacBook Pro. They're just calling it MacBook. Uh, so to make matters more confusing, it's actually thinner and lighter than the MacBook Air. <laughs> but it's it's just MacBook. How many fights do you think they had inside Apple headquarters about the naming of that device? Their their naming is baffling to me. Going back to the watch for a minute, the middle of the line watch is called Apple Watch. The low end is called Apple Watch Sport. The top line watch is called Apple Watch Edition. <laughs> it seems like they're missing a word there. So I, I don't know what's going on with their their marketing. Well, but the the MacBook is it's a newer, thinner, lighter laptop. Uh, it doesn't have a fan. And it has a retina display. So, on all those measures, it sounds great. The problem with it, in in my view, is that it uses Intel's new chip called the Core M, whereas the the MacBook Air and the MacBook Pro both use the Core i series. Uh, the difference there is that the Core M is made to be without a fan, made to be for a mobile tablet type device, uh, something like maybe a, a cheaper lower end Microsoft Surface, for example. Um, so the the processing power is extremely limited in this new laptop. It's got a Retina display, which is nice. It's very light, which is nice. But the early questions that all the the journalists out there have, all the the tech bloggers, nobody is convinced that this thing will be powerful enough to actually function as a as a laptop. We will keep watching. Let's move on to Qualcomm. The chipmaker announced a 14% increase to its quarterly dividend. So that's now $0.48 cents, uh, each quarter, and also announced a $15 billion stock buyback plan. 
what is this company now? I, I, I was saying before we started t- taping, I, I, I feel like Qualcomm is one of those companies that most people are familiar with the name, but when it comes to the underlying business and the thesis for owning the stock, that's where a lot of people, myself included, get, start to get fuzzy. Yeah, so Qualcomm has made a lot of money over the years by owning patents on 3G technology and other cellular technologies. So a lot of the money they make is just collecting royalties from every other uh, cellular company out there in the world. So there isn't much you need to do for that. Maybe just keep spending R&D cash to to develop new technologies, but there's no manufacturing going on there. The other part of their business is making their processors. So the the brand name is the Qualcomm Snapdragon processor. And if you have now that's a good brand name. It is a pretty good name. Yeah. <laughs> the problem with the Snapdragon is that the the newer chips this year are overheating. So that, that, that's Gee, a is that a problem issue. for yeah, chips? Yeah, you don't want that. But if you own a smartphone, the odds are very high that it has a Qualcomm chip inside of it. And even if it doesn't, all of the uh, all of the other chips those make manufacturers have to pay a royalty to Qualcomm. Now these Snapdragon chips are made by Qualcomm, which really means they're made by Taiwan Semiconductor, which makes it on behalf of Qualcomm. So Qualcomm doesn't even have their own manufacturing. All they're doing is the R&D in designing these chips, which I say all they're doing, but it's it's significant. But what it means is that they don't have much to do with the excess cash that they're making. So their earnings last year were $8 billion. They have about $18 billion net cash. So spending 10 to 15 a year on buybacks seems like a reasonable thing to do. This was a stock that you look back at 1999, 2000, 2001, just a meteoric stock um, and almost as meteoric a fall. But it, it did make it through. Unlike a lot of companies during the dot-bomb era, it made it through. It's kept pace with the market over the last five years. It hasn't uh, lit the world on fire. Is this sort of, if, if you're looking at a dividend-paying sort of steady tech stock, is this as good a candidate as any? Well, they, they've had great chips in the last few years, largely because they were the only company that really had a good combination of a processor and a cellular modem on the same chip. Everyone else that was trying to do it had to use two separate chips. That advantage is starting to disappear. Other companies are coming along and doing a better job. There's small companies like a company in, in Taiwan called MediaTek, which makes chips for a much lower price point. So if you're buying a low-end phone in a place like China, that might be what you're looking at. Uh, so it is becoming a tougher environment. They are still collecting a lot of money from royalties, but uh, as we move on to the newer generations of technology, we'll see who gets there first and who gets all the patents. So it's it's not a, a bad company, but it's not one that I'm excited about. Twitter shares down 2 or 3% this morning on reports. It is buying, or has bought, I should say, Periscope, which is a live streaming video app According to some of the reports I read, this is a deal that closed a while ago, and right. it's just now coming to light that they spent somewhere in the neighborhood of $100 million on this. Um, I don't know. Is, the, is, is this a good move for them? If you look at the instant reaction from the market, it, the stock isn't getting killed, but at the same time, it's, well, you apparently spent somewhere in the neighborhood of $100 million on a live streaming video app that hasn't even made it out to the public yet. Yeah, so it looks like this deal closed about a month ago, and the service has been 
open for beta testing for about four months. So there aren't any any public use cases yet for this. So I don't know what they thought they were paying for, whether it must be the technology because there's no user base installed. You compare the price to Twitch, which was bought by Amazon last year for about a billion dollars. So if you're just paying for the technology and not for the user base, which Twitch had a very large user base, it, it might be worth it there. It is interesting. A lot of people are talking about live streaming video now as as the next big shared experience on the internet. We have near real-time updates with, with Twitter in text form. Uh, Twitter owns Vine, which allows you to post six-second video clips, and those usually are posted within minutes of the clip being recorded. So this takes you just a few seconds further into real-time video, but there's no users yet. Uh, about a week ago, a different company actually launched live streaming video over the Twitter platform, a company called Meerkat, and in about a week they've they've gotten around 60,000 users. So apparently people do want live streaming video <laughs> through Twitter. Uh, whether or not Twitter does it best uh, remains to be seen. Uh, last year, Twitter was asked about whether or not it was going to try and get into China. They downplayed that story, which makes sense when you consider that Twitter is blocked in China. But right. today comes the news that uh, Twitter has opened an office in Hong Kong. Yeah, so Twitter is blocked in China. No one in mainland China can use Twitter. Um, obviously, Hong Kong has its own rules. So there are some users there. It's not not that big of a market at the moment. The main reason for Twitter opening this office, though, is really just uh, to get a sales staff in place so they can start selling ads. I I know you use Twitter, and I've noticed on my own Twitter feed a lot more promoted tweets lately. A lot of people are paying money to get their tweets yes. up there. So by opening an office in Hong Kong, you're getting uh, you're just putting a, a sales staff in place that can sell even more of those ads for us. So you think it's a good move? Uh, it, at least Twitter seems to have a direction now for how they're trying to grow their revenue. Uh, Honestly, I get annoyed by all those promoted tweets, and I don't see the value in them. None of them have improved my experience of Twitter, but they're a business. They need to make money, and there's a lot of advertisers in Asia that that need to be tapped. I, yeah, I feel the same way. I mean, I, I'm on Twitter every day and, and use it a great deal, but uh, it, it's annoying to see the promoted tweets, particularly when they're f- promoting something that makes me wonder why I'm seeing it, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, it's easy enough to scroll by. So for now, anyway, it's, uh, it's, it's, not, it's not enough to make me want to stop using the right. service. Um, we talked a little bit about the NCAA basketball tournament at the beginning. Um, how are your Wisconsin Badgers looking? Another trip to the Final Four this year? Uh, they're looking good, but the current projections have them put in the same bracket as Kentucky. So that that would be difficult. You know what? I I, I know that's you know Kentucky's the number one team in the country. That's a tough game, but I, I, I put me in the group that wants to see that game. There are a few teams that I think would give Kentucky a really great game, and Wisconsin is one of them. That would be a fun game to watch. Um, Getting to the business aspect of March Madness, you you dug up some information. Uh, The FBI estimates that more than $2.5 billion is wagered illegally on the NCAA basketball tournament. Um, You think the number could be even higher? Yeah, that's uh, very rough estimates based on 
mostly office pools. There's other forms of illegal gambling, obviously, but for the NCAA tournament, it's mostly office pools, and trying to get an accurate estimate on that is difficult. But uh, something that, if you don't do it, you're aware of it of its existence. Do you, uh, uh, you know, not trying to get either one of us in trouble, but do you participate in in office pools? Because I, I did for a number of years, and then about 20 years ago, I realized that. I just enjoy the tournament so much, and I never make predictions based on how I actually feel. So I end up rooting against myself. So I stopped doing it just because I just want to watch the tournament. I just want to have fun, and and I I frequently will root for upsets. But when I would fill out the bracket, I would never really bet that way. Yeah, I I try to avoid the office pools because technically they're illegal. Um, but what I, I do instead is I go to Vegas for the first few days of the tournament. Oh, do you? Yeah, so I'll be going there the Wednesday night before the opening round. I know our colleague Brian Richards does that uh, every year with his father. That's a that's a trip that they make out there. So um, It's a great experience. If you have any interest in sports, it's worth going. Even if you don't place any bets, just going and standing in the back of the of the room during the games. It's insane. Because you get the, the dual effect of watching the game, but also watching the people who clearly have bet on one team or the other. You get to watch games, and even in the 20- or 30-point blowouts, you have people watching right until the end, looking at the final shot of the game to oh, see right. if they win their bet. That's right, because they, they bet on the underdog that was getting 30 points or right, something right. like that. They're, they're, they're hoping for that last-second three-pointer so that the margin of victory is only 29. It's a good time, but not really any redeeming use to society. <laughs> you can read more from Tony Arsta and his colleagues at Motley Fool Funds. Just go to foolfunds.com and check out everything they're writing about. I, I'm hoping in a month or so there's going to be, because I know recently uh, Bill Mann wrote about Dean Smith, the late great coach at North Carolina. Uh, maybe a little... Maybe a little uh, NCAA wagering thesis being written up in uh, Motley Fool Fund's declarations in the coming weeks. We'll see if we can tie it to business. (laughs) Thanks for being here. Thanks. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. 